This is Leaving Laodicea, the online podcast of Steve McCraney. I'm glad you're here. Stay tuned, because we've got some exciting things in store for you. Hang tight. You can't handle the truth. Listen, before we begin, I want to make sure that uh, we understand what we're doing. Um, oftentimes, because we get into a lot of the, the word definitions and we throw some other verses in there, sometimes church, maybe even especially here, can digress in more to a seminary class or, or teaching or something of that nature. And, and although there's a, 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 a value in that, an importance of that, because God did call some to be pastors and teachers and stuff of that nature, I don't want us to lose fact or lose focus on what this is all about. Everything we do is supposed to be about Christ. I mean, we, we look at a, a passage of Scripture and we break it down to understand exactly what it says. We draw these other passages to, to amplify that. But the purpose of all of this is to exalt Christ, to understand who He is and what He has done, and to place Him as the preeminent one in our heart. If you've been saved a long time, sometimes you forget what it was like when He first introduced Himself to you, when you first got saved. When life was dark and life was troubling and, and you didn't know which way to turn, that you were at the end of yourself and you had heard about this Jesus, but you, there's no way you were going to lead or give your life to the lordship of somebody you really couldn't understand. And the, the cross of Christ seemed like foolishness to you. It was moronic to you, which is exactly what 1 Corinthians says. And then at some point in time, in God's sovereignty, he began to call you and Things begin to make sense, and you came to that point where you humbled yourself and asked the Lord to come in and change your heart and life and, and save you. And do you remember what that was like? Do you remember what the next morning was like when you woke up? That everything was new and everything was fresh, and although your circumstances have, haven't changed, there was a, a glow about it all. You came to work with a smile on your face. You met people with this joy that, that was supernatural in nature. And you were going, I, I just can't believe that, that I could have been like this and, and felt this and experienced this all these years, but now it's mine and I can't wait to share it with you. Do you remember what it was like? And then weeks went by and months went by and years went by and decades went by. And if you're like most believers, it became just a religion. It became just something that we did. We come to church and we hear things about Jesus and, oh, that's great and we need to be here. We need to learn about Jesus because of what he did for me in the past. And we forget what he's doing for us and wants to do for us right now. So please don't miss, don't lose sight of what all we're talking about is. 
We're talking about the Holy Spirit, which will help you love Jesus more. We're talking about praying in the Spirit with the aid of the Holy Spirit, which will help you connect with God more. We're talking about how the early church focused on certain things, which allowed them to focus on Christ more. It is all about Christ. Because Colossians 2 sums it up for us. It says, for in him, in Christ, Not in religion or not in anything else, but in him dwells the fullness of all that God is. The entire Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in Christ revealed to us is all the persons of the God, the the Godhead, the fullness of the Godhead revealed to us in human flesh. We sit back and take a deep breath and go, what does that mean for me? Simple. And because of that, we are complete, not in and of ourselves, not because of our education or our pedigree or the country we live in or what we have or don't have, but we are complete in Christ and him alone, who is the head over all principalities and power. The word power here is exosia. It means authority over all the demonic and angelic realm, over anything that has control over your life. You are complete in Christ, who is head over all of that. So as we, as we really look at just one verse today and spring from that, I want you to realize that it's not about church. It's not about us. It is about Christ. Amen? Well, we're in Acts chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at today at really verse number 14 primarily, which begins a 240-hour prayer meeting. If you remember the story, the talked about last week, the Holy Spirit was promised. And all of a sudden, the disciples, they didn't really understand what that meant. And and Jesus said that you're not supposed to do anything. You're supposed to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be changed from the inside out. It won't be you trying to make yourself happy. I will give you something that you can't even imagine. And so Jesus then is ascended up into heaven. These two angels show up in the first part of the book of Acts. And why are you looking in like this, the same Jesus who ascended into heaven will return again someday in like manner. And, and verse number 12 says, is they then, after experiencing this, and Christ has been bodily taken up from them, they're waiting now on the other helper, on Christ himself, in the person of the Holy Spirit, as the fullness of all the Godhead, to come down and live with them, as there and reside with them like he resides with us. Between that event of Jesus raising up into heaven and a future event in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit falls, we've got about 240 hours. We've got 10 days to take place. And so you have the early church, this group of believers just like you and I, focusing on just prayer. So let's begin at verse number 12. It says, And they return to Jerusalem. This Group that we know that's 120 people by the time we get to verse number 15. This group returns to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. First question we all have is who is they? Well, we got to, they returned, they entered, they went up to the room where they were staying. So the Holy Spirit wants us to know who is there. Of, of people that we would recognize. So he begins listing the people that were there that we would know. The 11 disciples that are left. He says there was Peter, 
and in James and John, the sons of Zebedee. There was Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew. There was Matthew. There was James. He's known as the son of Alphaeus, not to confuse him with another James. Number two here, which is James, the son of Zebedee. And there was Simon the Zealot. And then, of course, there was Judas, who was the son of James. So we don't get confused that this wasn't Judas Iscariot. So we know in this group right now, there's, there's 11, the, the, the core group, the, the 12 that were there, there's now 11 of them left. Judas has betrayed Jesus. Judas, Judas is now dead. They're in the upper room. Those people are there. I recognize them because I read about them in the gospel. Well, who else? It says, and, uh, and, it says, and, and these all, that group, well, what else? They all continued whatever that word means, with one accord in prayer and supplication. And then it lists a few other people that were there with the women and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. The women, we've got the 11 that were there, and the mother of Jesus and with the group of people that are known as Jesus' brothers. These are his brothers of his own earthly family. And so as we always do, I want to know exactly what uh, the Lord is trying to tell us here in this 240-hour prayer meeting. By the way, have you ever been in a prayer meeting like that? I haven't. Uh, There's only been a couple times in my life that I've really tried to pray all night long. Um, I find that with my ADD, it gets kind of difficult because I always viewed prayer as kind of a one-sided conversation between me and God. I've got this long prayer list, and if I'm going to pray a long time, I need a really long prayer list. And sometimes you go over it twice, and that just adds more time to your prayer. And so my prayer is not necessarily prayer, but it's more supplication. And supplication is when you ask God of things, or, or you intercede on behalf of someone else. And so you begin praying, and you pray for all your friends, and you pray for all the lost loved ones you can think of, and you pray for the world, and the nation, and churches, and the government, and, and all the kind of things you can think of, and you look at the clock, and 15 minutes have passed. Ah, okay, so what do I do now? Maybe I'll adore the Lord. And so you spend some time praising him for who he is. And you think of all the flowery terms you can think of. Um, Our Father who is in heaven, you start with that, hallowed be thy name. And then you pray about his sovereignty, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then you pray for your needs, you know, give us this day our our daily bread. And and then you pray for protection. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And and on and on and on. Help us forgive those who, who sin against us and... Then you praise him at the end, for that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And if you're lucky, you prayed for an hour. Wow, that was, that was something. It's really hard to pray when I've got Facebook notifications on your phone. You've got emails that are popping up. You've got people that are texting you all the time. But good night. We don't want to turn our phone off because somebody, something important may happen. Like somebody may post a Facebook post on the meal they're eating and there are a picture of a cat. And I have to look at that, right? Lord, I I want more than that. I remember times when Karen and I would, actually it was our our first date, really, when I finally paid her enough money to go out with me. Um, (laughs) It was our our first date. We were a very unlikely candidate. She was a preacher's daughter, and I was a uh, reprobate. And um, she went out with me anyway. We went to a movie, and after a movie, I think we went to some Denny's or some restaurant like that, and, and... I sat there from like 9 o'clock to seem like 2 in the morning, just talking, 
just talking. I'm sharing some stuff, asking a lot of questions, and she's talking with me. We're just really connected, just talking about crazy stuff. You know, she's telling me all about her life, and I'm telling her about mine. It was a trust relationship that was, was formed, and my heart was already... Um, had my first tachycardia that night, by the way. My, my heart was already beating really fast and all that kind of... And you know what? I remember, I remember we drank coffee, and I didn't drink coffee. And uh, we're sitting there. It's like 2 in the morning. And I looked at my watch, and I thought, time just flew. You know, what, what happened here? Because I wanted to know her, and, and everything she said I was interested in. I kept asking her questions, and, and she would share something about her life, which was totally different than mine. And I would ask some probing questions. She would ask me some stuff, and, and we would talk, and... You ever done that with the Lord? Have you ever had that kind of relationship with him where that you share and then you wait and, and then he shares and you hear his voice and you understand what he's saying and maybe he shares with you with scripture or maybe it's just an impulse or maybe it's that still small voice or maybe you hear him talk to you verbally. And then all of a sudden it's like, yes, and, and you're in this time of communion and, and next thing you know, when you sit down and, and get ready to pray. Next thing you know, hours have passed. What, 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 happened? what happened to the day? Last night, um, in preparation for this, last night, Karen and I went to bed. And uh, I don't know what time it was. One o'clock, it always is. Um, and I couldn't sleep. I really felt the Lord kind of, I need to talk with you. And so I went in my office and, and we just sat there and talked for a long time. I don't even know what time it was when I finally went to bed. It didn't matter. It was, it was just a, a sweet communication where I'm sharing stuff with him and, and he's sharing stuff with me. And, and that's what prayer is. You know, it's, it's, not, like, it's not like just a ritual. <clears throat> I'll pray. <clears throat> dear, dear, dear Holy Father, thank you for this day and, you know, and all that kind of thing. It's, it's more than that. It's a, it's a conversation with somebody who loves you beyond anything that you can ma- imagine. And he is the only one, the only one that we can take our burdens to and our hurts to and our fears to that can do something about them. Know what I mean? 240 hours these people were together. I'm sure some of them slept. I'm sure they all slept sometimes. And, but 240 hours. And they didn't know how long it was going to last. Jesus said, you're supposed to just wait for me. And, and so they did during that time the one thing that they knew that they could do where they could connect with Christ, who was now gone. They didn't study the Old Testament scriptures. It doesn't say that they had meetings. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that later on. It, it doesn't say that they, that they you know, set up some sort of hierarchy or, or they didn't go out and evangelize. They didn't do any of that kind of stuff. They didn't have a Bible study. They just prayed. Why? Because Jesus is gone. The love of my life is gone. I watched him be crucified. I watched him become raised from the dead. For the, next four, for the last 40 years, he's, he's met with many of us, even 500 at one time, which may be this very account we're talking about here. I'm standing at the Mount of Olivet, the Mount of Olives. I see him rise up into heaven so I can't see him in the clouds anymore like a helium balloon that you, you, know, that you just watch till it goes away. Angel, angels come out and communicate a message to us. We're filled with expectation. We go into the upper room and all we want to do is talk to him. I I don't want to study the scriptures right now. I don't want to have a fellowship meal. I don't want to do any of that kind of stuff. I just want to pray. Well, for how long? 
Until. Until what? Until the promise of the Father. When's that going to happen? No clue. But it doesn't matter. Because my life has been changed and all that matters is this right now. Christ is all sufficient and he should be all satisfying. These all, it says. The word all means each, every, the whole. It means a concept of oneness, the entirety in totality without exception. It's talking about every single one, every single one that entered into that room, they all. There wasn't a division. There wasn't a faction. There weren't some that showed up. But they, man, I got an important job. I got a meeting I got to get to on Monday. I, I can't do this. I got dogs to take care of. I've got, I've got, I got clothes in the wash. It's, they're going to sour unless I take it. None of that. None of that stuff was important to them. It says, these all, without exception, it meant no one left, but it also means no one was added. It was like a closed group in a huge room that 120 people gathered in, probably larger than this. 120 people would be kind of uncomfortable in here. A huge room they were at. It says they all continued. The word continued means lasting an extended time without interruption, which is really important to understand. It means to persevere and not faint or to be consistent. It says all of these people, this 120 people, they went into this room and they all continued. They all stayed there however long it was without interruption. A long time, an an unknown time, but it ended up being 240 hours. It means they persevered there together and they didn't get weak and they didn't quit and they didn't faint. They were consistent in what Christ called them to do and what they wanted to do to follow him. It means that no one left. And no one quit. If we called a 48-hour prayer meeting, nobody ever does that anymore. What you do is you have this chart, and it lists the 48 hours, and we'll pass it around, and everybody signs up to pray at home for an hour during one of those 48 hours. Well, my time is between 7 and 8 o'clock on Friday, so I'll pray during that time, because there's no way any of us would ever come to a place and pray for an extended period of time because the church no longer values prayer like they valued prayer, and we got other things to do. Not that the things we have to do are more important. It's just the things we have to do scream louder in our ears than the Holy Spirit does with his still, small voice. You ever noticed? These all continued. How? With one accord. This is the amazing part of this. The word means being of one mind, one passion, one focus of unanimous consent. They're all together in single purpose. These all continued in one accord. Man, you can't can't get three Americans together that agree on anything today. You can't agree on politics. You can't agree on the government. You can't agree on the money situation. You can't agree on, on, on what ball team that you want to follow. You, you can't, we can't agree on anything. And we end up being divided and, and factionalized over stuff that really doesn't matter. You get some Christians together, and, and they're going to argue about trivial matters that really, you know, the mode of baptism or how we're supposed to pray, like this or like this or like this or fly on the floor. I mean, just crazy stuff. Bible translations, and you're right, and I'm wrong, and they're all wrong, and we're right, and, but not these guys. I mean, these guys came from, 
from different socioeconomic backgrounds. I mean, they, we're going to find that some of the people that were in this group were the physical half-brothers of Jesus, the, the children of Joseph and Mary who had ridiculed them for years, now got saved during this 40-day period, and they're included in the group, and there's no animosity there. And you guys made my life tough. I can't believe, what are you letting these guys in here for? I don't even believe they're saved. None of that took place. None of that. They were all together in one accord. There was no division among them because they had a focus. They had a goal. We're going to do what Jesus said. The one that we love more than life, more than my sincerely held convictions, more than my opinions, has raised up into heaven and given me a command and brought us together as a family, as the body of Christ, and said, this is what we need to do. They all continued with one accord in prayer. The word prayer means talking to God, and it hangs on many different forms. It just means communicating with him, communing with him. And it's not a one-way conversation. I mean, what, what kind of friend would you have, and we have some friends like that, by the way, that uh, all they want to do is tell you things. I mean, they don't want to care. They don't care about your life. You know, they call you on the phone because they have something that they want to share with you because they have a burden in their heart and they want, they want to share it with somebody. And so it's just all about them. Hey, let me tell you what happened to me. It's really good. And all that kind of stuff. They never say, well, how are you doing? And if by some chance you interject to share something back with them about your life, they're not interested. Well, no, no, no. That's really fine for you. But, and it's all about them. I mean, do you have friends like that? No. Prayer is communing with God where I talk, but maybe the God of the universe wants to talk back. It says they all continue with one accord in prayer and in supplication. The supplications, when we ask for things for God in prayer, praying for others, praying for, for God to move in a mighty way like, like I did before we started. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to come and to move in our hearts and to change. That, that's a supplication prayer. There were no meetings. There was no preaching. Initially, this started out with nothing but prayer. Nothing but prayer. It says, they all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, we know. We have no idea who these women were. But if we look through the scripture, we find another, a number of women who followed Jesus who were probably there. Mary Magdalene, <clears throat> Mary, the wife of Clophus, Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. Lazarus was probably in this group. Um, uh, Salome, Joanna, Susanna, and, and many others. They, women were there. The 11 disciples were there. And it says Jesus' brothers were there. Well, who in the world are they? Well, we find out from Matthew 13 and Mark 6 that Mary and Joseph had four other sons. They also had some daughters, four other sons after Jesus. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, who we know as Jude. It's a Greek name. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. I find that amazing. I find, I find that in this group of devoted followers that we find these four people listed. Let me show you how his brothers treated Jesus. This is early in his ministry. This is in John chapter 7. It says, Now the Feast of Tabernacles was at hand, and his brothers therefore said to him, 
Here's what you need to do, Jesus. You need to depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. And that's what you're doing. You just... You just want to gather a following together. So you know what? Go into Jerusalem, show your wares, do your stuff, and watch what happens. For if you do these things and show yourself to the world, man, everybody will believe you. Because we don't believe you. We don't even believe you. You've lived a sinless life with us. You've been the perfect son. You've been the the older son that the younger brothers could never measure up to. You've been that kid. You know what I mean? We don't even believe you. Matthew, Mark chapter 3 says, Then the multitude came together so that they could not eat much bread. But when his own people, this is his family, his brothers heard about this, this crowd gathering around Jesus, they went to lay hold of him. Would, would, you, would, would you get him and just grab him by the arm? Would you put him in the car? We're taking him home. For they said he's out of his mind. Jesus is doing all these incredible things. The crowds are following him. He's teaching like no man has ever taught, yet his brothers were accusing him of being off his rocker. Something strange with this guy. They were not supporters during his ministry. But at some point in time, his brothers came to faith. Not not before the resurrection, because they didn't believe, but sometime during that 40 days After his resurrection and before the ascension, his brothers came to faith in him. James, it says, was personally visited by Jesus. Jesus sought him out. And it's possible, we don't know, but it's possible then that the Lord used James to be instrumental in leading his other brothers to faith. Have you ever thought what that must have been like? For all of a sudden, one of the brothers to come home and say, let me me tell you what happened here. It's kind of like what's going to happen in Mo's family when the first one of Mo's brothers come to faith in Christ. Know what I mean? We're all committed Muslims. One of us gets saved. I mean, what is wrong with you? And God uses that one to be instrumental in leading the other ones to him. I mean, when Paul is listing in 1 Corinthians 15 the fact that Jesus appeared to him, he lists a number of post-resurrection, pre-ascension Uh, encounters with Christ. Now here's what he says. For I have delivered you first of all, that's which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. That he was buried, that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas or Peter. Got that. Then by the 12. All right, so I got Peter and then the rest of the disciples, which are known as the 12. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. No idea when that took place. Of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some have died, some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, the Lord's brother. Jesus, not recorded in Scripture, Jesus made a personal visit to his brother James and then to all the apostles. Some of you who think that the apostles are just the twelve, In this passage, he visits the 12, and then he visits all the apostles. That's a separate group. And then last of all, he was seen, Paul says, by me also. I mean, when did that happen? What must that have been like? James, James, I've been your brother for 33 years. Or 32 years, 31 years since you're younger than I am. But I'm here. Same thing I told Thomas. There's my hands, there's my side, I'm alive. 
Will you believe? And James obviously believes. And by the way, this James here is the James that wrote the epistle of James. He was head of the uh, of Jerusalem church at that time. And he lists himself and, uh, by just saying, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a voluntary slave of Christ. We find another brother, Judas, who's known as Jude, wrote the letter of Jude. But he doesn't even refer to himself, neither of these guys do, as half-brothers of Jesus. Because I felt, think they felt ashamed. Instead, even Jude refers to himself as just the brother of James. It is Christ's own family that writes these two incredible letters. And they're in the room. And all these continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, I don't know if, if you read scripture like this, but every time I do, I ask questions. All right, that's what the text says, but I, I want to I see this in my mind because when I try to view scripture, I try to view it like a movie. I want to kind of see it played out in front of me. I'd like to know what each person's feeling and what their personalities are, how they worked out certain logistics uh, in, the, in the story that we have. So I had, a, I had a couple questions. First one is, what do you think took place in that prayer meeting? I, I don't know. The people prayed. I, was it like one person stands up and goes, okay, everybody, come on, everybody together. Let's get together. All right, everybody follow up in little groups here of, of five people, and then we're going to pray. And this group, you start, and then you finish, and then you do the middle part, and it's kind of like singing, row, row, row your boat in unison. I mean, was it like that? I, I don't think so. Was it just spontaneous prayer where people came in just being so enamored by who the Lord is that they just broke out in prayer? I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what they prayed about. Did they pray about what's going to happen? Did they pray about the future? Did they pray about their lost loved ones? Did they pray for each other? Did they pray that the, the, the power that the Lord had promised them, the promise of their father would come upon them? And if so, would we know what that is like? I mean, when they prayed for each other, did they pray for Peter? Did, did he confess his, his sin and his failure and they prayed for a restoration? Did they pray for, for Jude and James and some of the others? I mean, what did they pray for? What do we pray for? Was their prayer meeting different than ours? And let's look at logistically. Did they stay the whole time? Or did they like go, listen, I've, I've got to take care of a few things. I'll be back at six. And so they left and they came back and a couple people filtered out. So you had 120 initially and three hours later, it was down to about 60. And then at midnight, there's only like 12, the guys that are used to working third shift. And then it comes back in early in the morning. And was it kind of that kind of prayer meeting? Or did it, when the word says continue, does it mean exactly what it says, that they continued all together in one accord in unison for 240 hours? Did they leave and come back or did they pray 24-7 until the promise of the Father was revealed to them? What do you think? What does the scripture teach? What kind of prayer meeting was this? Oh, we're Americans. What about food? That's 10 days. 10 days. I can't even go six hours without a meal. What about food? I mean, how did they feed themselves? Did they go home? 
Well, some of these people, obviously in this group, weren't from Jerusalem. They may have been some of the people that were, that, uh, were there. And I mean, who knows? From, from outlining areas in Galilee and some of the other places. I mean, did they go home several times to eat? Did, did we have a prayer meeting from 9 to 11, and then we break up and convene back at 2, and, and they pick it back up at four from 2 to 4, and then we go have dinner, pick it back up at 9? I mean, that's how we do it. Do you think they did it that way? Did they go home and eat? Did someone have the food catered to them? You didn't have restaurants back then like you have now. Catering food was a little more difficult than picking up the phone and calling Cadobas. Bring Cadobas, I can stay for 10 days. How about you? Did they go to Walmart? Run by McDonald's like we would do? Did the family drop off lunch bags? Did they pick up their cell phones and go, hey, honey, I'm going to be here for a couple days. Uh, can, you, can you go to the grocery store and bring us some food in here? Okay. And the wife stays with the kids and the husband stays in the room and she just drops the food. I mean, did you think it happened something? I mean, we would do it like that. Do you think they did it like that? Or did they go on extended fast? Did they say, I want nothing more than Jesus and Jesus alone? In this 10 days that they were there, Did they worry about the fellowship meals and what they were going to eat and washing the dishes and taking the trash out? And, you know, it's your turn to cook. I cooked last time. Or did they just devote themselves continually to prayer? And they didn't eat. They just fasted. They did nothing else. I mean, what do you think? How does that work for you? I think they were on extended fast. Because I find fasting all through the scriptures. By the way, we, have, we don't believe in fasting in our culture today. We believe in feasting. We're going to go on a three-day feast. You know, so we just kind of hang out at Golden Corral for eight hours a day or something of that nature. But, but there's power in what the Lord prescribes for us in fasting. And I think that's exactly what happened here is all they did was fast. Well, what is Fasting. And why does Jesus assume that we will practice that spiritual discipline, which has really fallen out of vogue with every single one of us? Because as soon as our stomach growls, er, we have an insatiable desire to make that go away. Have you noticed? Because hunger is something God never wants us to have in our culture. Yet Jesus assumed there would be a time of fasting. He even said that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, he gave directions for what fasting is supposed to be like. And here's what he said. Moreover, when, not if, if you decide to honor me with fasting, and I know most of you won't, this is what I want you to do for that very small segment of people which will practice this spiritual discipline. That's not what he said. He was talking to everybody, assuming that they would do that. The Jews fasted. He assumed they would. So when, not if you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. With a sad countenance, I'm, oh, oh, I'm a little lightheaded because I'm fasting for the Lord today. Oh, so that everybody will know how spiritual you are. He says, for they disfigure their faces that they might appear not to God, but to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you, not if, but when you fast, assuming you will, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to, to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. Okay, so what happens if I do fast and your Father who sees in secret will reward you 
openly. Who would pass up an open reward from the Lord? He will reward you openly. I mean, who fast? Well, Jesus fasted for 40 days before he even began his, his ministry. He was baptized by John. The Holy Spirit came upon him. There was a public affirmation from God in heaven. This is my son, whom I'm well pleased. And then all of a sudden, Jesus heads off into the wilderness, away from people, to be tempted 40 days and 40 nights by Satan. And it says in there, it's one of the big understatements of Scripture, it says in there, and he fasted for 40 days and he was hungry. And during that time, Satan attacked him spiritually, attacked his view of God, attacked his, his ability to, to follow God's plan or just short circuit it. You know, if you're really the son of God, why don't you climb up on the, the top of the temple and dive off? You do this big swan dive in front of everybody. You and I both know the angels are going to keep you some splatting on the concrete. And when that happens in front of everybody, they'll declare you king. No, we're not going to put the Lord God to test. All right, well, how about this? I am ruler of this world. This domain belongs to me. I know someday you will come and take it back from me. So I will show you all the kingdoms of all the worlds that ever were and all their time bow down and worship me and they're yours. You won't have to go to the cross. I'll give it to you now. And of course, Jesus said, no, get out of my face, Satan. Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness. Moses fasted 40 days before he received the Ten Commandments of the Lord. Brought them down, communing with God. For 40 days, David fasted in mourning over his child. Seven days. Kid was sick. Day, I just want to pray. I just want to, because this, this kid, my kid's sickness is my fault. It's my guilt. And, and so he anguished and wouldn't even, even eat and spend his time in prayer and worship and adulation to the Lord. Elijah fasted when he was escaping from uh, Jezebel. Ezra fasted while mourning over Israel's sin. Esther fasted for the safety of the Jews before she went into the king. Darius, a pagan king, fasted for Daniel's safety after Darius realized he was duped by people who hated David, uh, Daniel when he was in alliance den. And Daniel fasted 21 days for an answer to prayer. 21 days fasting and praying for God. Paul fasted after his conversion. The elders at Antioch fasted before sending out Paul and Barnabas out as missionaries. We're not going to make that decision based on a vote. We're going to pray with fasting. We want to know exactly what God's will is in this situation. Nehemiah fasted when he learned that the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down. The king of Nineveh, a Kagan king, fasted, and his entire city fasted when... Jonah came and preached this really short sermon that says God's going to get you in 40 days. All of Israel fasted when 40,000 men were lost in battle. What are we going to do? Seeking God's face. We're not not holding committee meetings. We're praying and we're fasting. Anna, an 84-year-old prophetess, who the young Jesus was brought to, and who prophesied over Jesus, worshipped the Lord day and night in the temple with prayer prayer. And fasting. Hannah fasted because of her barrenness. Solomon humbled himself in fasting. Joseph fasted while he was in prison. Jehoshaphat fasted to know God's plan. How do I defeat my enemies? And there's many more in Scripture. All of a sudden we start looking in Scripture and we realize almost every godly man we find in Scripture at some point in time in his life fasted. Like these, 120 were probably fasting in the upper room, devoting themselves to just prayer, but the the kind of prayer that has 
but it has power behind it. If you've never fasted, if you've never had a, a God-ordained one or three or five or seven or 10 or 40 day fast, what I'm telling you seems crazy. But for those of you have, who have experienced the energizing of your prayer life and your spiritual sensitivity that's open by just the denying of yourself food, something God ordained, know exactly what I'm talking about. How incredible it is to be able to understand who he is and have him reveal himself to you in a way that you can't even imagine. Let me just give you a couple things here. I won't belabor these. What fasting can do for you and why, like these disciples, you should fast. Listen, you want to know Jesus more? What you're doing ain't working. Okay? It's not. Most of us are plateaued spiritually. And most of us have been plateaued for a long time. I can read more of God's word. That will help. I can memorize God's word. That will big time help hiding God's word in your heart. But your intimacy with God is found in your prayer life. And God has ordained that your prayer life is like on steroids whenever you fast. I don't know why it works. I don't. It makes no logical sense, but it does. Because when all of a sudden I voluntarily deny my flesh what it craves the most, it's like it has less power over my spirit. And it's like my spirit is released and my spirit is set free. And Well, will you get hungry? Yes, yes. But the hunger goes away. Will you, uh, will you feel weak sometimes? Yes, your body does. But there are ways around that when it comes to fasting and, and certain types of fast. And, but the reality is I don't care. These guys didn't care. I, I don't believe food was even on their mind. At that time, all they wanted was Christ. God, I have to have an answer for you. We're waiting on something. You promised this, and I'm not leaving until I get an answer from you. Fasting was an expected discipline in both the Old and New Testament eras. The Jews were expected to fast. There were national fasts. There was a ceremonial fast. There were fastings that, that everybody took place. It's kind of, a, kind of like a jumpstart your spiritual life. In the, in the New Testament, in the early church, we find fasting happening all the time. We just don't have it happening today because we're gluttonous people. I'm a gluttonous person, and I don't want to devoid my flesh of anything. And so therefore, fasting is passe. I'd rather have feast. Hey, we're going to have a fellowship meal. Everybody comes. Hey, we're going to have a time of fellowship and fasting and prayer. Who shows up then? Know what I mean? Fasting and prayer can restore the loss of your first love of your Lord and result in more intimate relationship with Christ. I promise you this is true. For those of you that have fasted, you know it's true. And then you, you, you fast And then God either tells you the fast is over or you fast for a prescribed amount of days or you fast until God reveals to you what you're asking him to reveal to you. But whenever you end that fast, the fear that you always have is, God, is this going to go away? Is this intimacy with with you going to go away? And oftentimes, most of the time, 
It does. We just let it bleed away because the first thing we want to do is, is feed our flesh and we forget about who he was. And, and then the fasting in our life becomes high points and it's not supposed to be. It's just supposed to be a way to super energize our prayer life because, again, it's all about Christ. But if you're not interested in having an intimate relationship with him and having the Holy Spirit manifest himself to you in ways that maybe he never has before. And if Christ is not preeminent in everything in your life, then this message will mean nothing to you. But if that's your desire, I'm sharing with you what the Scripture teaches regarding how to have God do some incredible things. Fasting is a way to truly, biblically humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And you do. By the way, um, first day of a fast is um, kind of okay. Um, your body uses a lot of stored energy. Second day for me, second and third day is where it gets the roughest. You know, you find out that you're hungry all the time. And every time in a fast that I feel those hunger pains, I can do one of two things. Oh, oh, gosh, I wish I had some cookies, you know? <laughs> or I could just be reminded of how good God is. Ah, it's just a reminder. Lord, thank you for that hunger pain. Just reminds me why I'm doing this. And I just pray and just pray. And, and pretty soon it goes away and, and you will find, and I don't want to go into this part now, but... But you will find from a physiological standpoint, because I fasted, I fasted 40 days several times, you'll find that after an initial five to seven days, all of a sudden, you, you're like euphoric. I mean, you have more energy than you've ever had before. Your, your mind is open. It's like, it's like, really? And all this happened just from not eating Taco Bell? You know, yeah, it's amazing what the Lord does. Fasting enables the Holy Spirit to reveal your true spiritual condition, and he will, resulting in brokenness, repentance, and a transformed life. For those of you who fast, you know that's true. Fasting will encourage the Holy Spirit to quicken the word of God in your heart, and his truth will become more meaningful to you. The most powerful times that I've ever had in studying God's word have been during a fast. And I wish, I wish for me it was like that when I wasn't fasting. But it's like when you're fasting, your mind is not divided anymore. It's not satisfying my fleshly needs and my spiritual needs, which my fleshly needs seem to always take precedent. Instead, I, I've committed not to satisfy those. I just want to satisfy my spiritual needs. And boy, does the Holy Spirit do that. Fasting can transform your prayer life into a richer, more personal experience. You have no idea unless you fast, what that's like. Fasting can result in a dynamic personal renewal in your own life and make you a channel of revival to others. That's what it did to these people. They prayed and they fasted and they waited. And God responded with Acts chapter 2. Bottom line is this, that um, unless you've experienced it, it's really hard to explain and it's really hard to believe how just saying no to your flesh can open up your spiritual sensitivity to the things of God that you can't imagine. Just can't imagine. Let me give you a couple examples, and I'll draw this to a close. Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes back down the mountain, and the other disciples that are there are trying to cast out this demon in a boy. Nothing's happening. Well, I don't understand. We've done it in the past. We said the same words that you say it. Why is, is this guy, is this demon harder? Is there more demonic power here? What's the deal? 
And so Jesus, of course, brings the board himself, cast out the demon, everything is fine. So the disciples come to Jesus afterward privately with this big question, saying, what do I lack? I mean, obviously, all of us together, and you know, Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, so all the rest of them are down Pretty powerhouse guys, hand-picked disciples of Jesus. They're down there unable to take spiritual authority over this demonic spirit. Something in them was lacking. And so they come to Jesus and go, why couldn't we cast him out? I mean, what's the deal? What are we missing? And so then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said to him, why could we not cast it out? out?" And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. I I thought I did believe. Well, you didn't. It's because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I thought I had that kind of belief. No, you didn't. You had a divided faith on the flesh and on the spirit. Because this kind, he says, does not go away except by prayer, but not just prayer alone, but prayer and fasting. You needed some sort of spiritual jump charge that comes from fasting to be able to handle that. In Acts chapter 13, the church is getting together and they're getting ready to send the first missionary team out. And so we've got Paul over here. We've got Barnabas over here. And those are two uh, candidates that have impressed before us. We'll throw the gauntlet down. We'll throw the dice down to the lots and, and see which one we're going to choose. We'll have a committee. May you present your, um, your qualifications and then we'll vote. as like, I didn't do that. It's a spiritual thing. We want to know exactly God's will is. So Acts chapter 13, verse 2 and 3 says this. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The word ministering here is where we get the word worship from. It's where we get the word liturgy from. This group of men, these elders are worshiping the Lord, but they're not worshiping the Lord in their abundance, in their opulence, in their feasting. They're worshiping the Lord in a way that their worship can have wings. We're worshiping the Lord and fasting. And because I'm worshiping the Lord and fasting, what happened? God shows up and the Holy Spirit speaks to this group of people verbally. Maybe they all came with the same. I have no idea how it happened, but the Holy Spirit speaks to this group of people and says, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Wow, that's great. Let's send them on their way. No, we're not done yet. Then again, having fasted and prayed. No, we're not going to make this decision until we're really in tune with Christ. They laid their hands on them and sent them away. As Paul is going through these pagan areas and people are getting saved, he's establishing churches. And I'm going to establish churches. I need to have some elders, some rulers, some some spiritual men in there. And it says, so when they appointed elders in every church, they prayed with fasting. It's not just a, oh, let's ask the Lord to bless you. Okay, let's bless you and bless you and bless you. And the Southern Baptist Church, which I, uh, which I was raised in, when they ordain anybody, you ordain a deacon, ordain an elder, ordain a pastor, there's no fasting involved in that. It's these little prayers. They have the candidate you know, on his knees and all the other ordained people will come by and they lay their hands on his head or on his shoulder and they whisper something to his ear. And if you ever wondered what they whisper, it's always kind of the same thing. You know, go with God and, and serve him righteously and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's great and that's nice. That's not what these guys did. I want to know exactly what your will is, Lord. We're not going to do anything until we pray and fast, until you speak to us about that. It's not religion. It's a relationship. Fasting will increase your sensitivity to sharing God and and speaking to you personally. 
And that way you won't make carnal fleshly decisions that have lasting, lasting, lifelong consequences. Which is exactly what happened in the rest of Acts chapter 1 that we're going to talk about next week. Fasting allows you to, to really have power when it comes to prayer. I want to share just a couple things with you. And then I want to issue a challenge to you if I can. This is from Andrew Murray. It was written in 1898. Andrew Murray, Oswald Chambers, some of the really good spiritual guys of the church age past. Here's what Andrew Murray said. For all the ages, the law is laid down here. This is God's economy. At the birth of the church, which we're studying now, that whatever else may be found on earth, the power of the Spirit must be prayed down from heaven. Holy Spirit is like Jesus. The Holy Spirit isn't rude. The Holy Spirit doesn't force himself where he's not gone. Jesus never imposed himself on anybody. He didn't force somebody to get saved. He didn't slam somebody against the wall, hold him by the neck, and says, you know, you come to Christ. Now, he never did that. He shared his life with other people, and when they walked away, like the rich young ruler, we find that nowhere in Scripture he ever went back to them again. Maybe he did, but Scripture never records that. Holy Spirit, in your life and my life, doesn't come by just sitting around and waiting. It comes by seeking, and he comes by asking, and he comes by prayer. God, I want you to change my heart and change my life. Okay, well, what are you willing to do about that? Well, I just asked. Isn't that enough? Maybe. Most of the time it's not. No, I, I won't. Ask me. Have a relationship with me. Get serious about it. Devote yourself to me. Fast, if you will. Let me see how serious you are about that. We do that with our own kids. Our kid will come up and say, Hey, Dad, I want you to buy me this car. Well, that's a $3,000 car. I know, Dad, but I really want it. I really want it so bad. It's going to be a perfect car. Please, 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 please. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll do this. You earn $1,000 of it, and I'll kick in the other two. No. Well, it showed me how much you wanted the car. It showed me how much you were willing to give. So what does the father do? If he's a good father, he don't buy the car. Know what I mean? But the reality is, well, we think, we think God doesn't sometimes. He can do anything he wants. But you don't think sometimes God works the same way with us? You want anointing of the Holy Spirit? You want spiritual gifts manifest in your life? You want this church to be the kind of place where people walk in the door, they're convicted by the power of God that resides in you? You want to see our nation change? You want to see God part the Red Sea again? You want to see him answer our prayers that we've been praying without faith or with, or with weak faith for years and years and years? Then let's see how serious you are. It's like he says... For all the ages, the law is laid down here. At the birth of the church, that whatever else may be found on earth, and in this word, the power of the Spirit must be prayed down from heaven. He says, the measure of believing, continued prayer will be the measure of the Spirit's working in the church. What kind of prayer? Direct, definite, determined prayer is what we need. It's what we need. And that prayer is energized by fasting. So I'm asking you this. 
Doesn't have to begin today. Begin tomorrow. Or you can pray about what God's will is for your life. But I'm asking you, will you ask the Lord to enable and inspire your prayer life with fasting? Well, I don't know if I can do it. Well, sure you can. Jesus said that um, um, he expected us to do it. Why would he say there's certain things that you can't do? Well, you don't understand. I'm a diabetic. So am I. So am I. There's ways around that. You don't have to necessarily go on a water fast. The fast that I go on is usually a juice fast. I'll drink carrot juice and barley green and stuff of that nature that gives my body all the nutrients it needs because of my diabetes, yet it's still a fast, and God honors that too. doesn't really matter. You have to get legalistic about this. And when it talks about biblical fasting, it's not talking about giving up something for Lent. Well, I'm going to fast by not playing video games for three days. Well, you know what? That's a good, healthy thing not to play video games for three days. By the way, I heard something about video games. This is a side. They said that... um, there's a lot of video games that are rated M for mature, right? How can that be? And playing video games makes you anything other than that. That was great. Heard that. Bottom line is that... Um, you liked that one, did you? Yeah. Didn't that come from me? Anyway, fact of the matter is that, uh, that if you're fasting, you're fasting from what your body craves. You know, why don't you, why don't you tomorrow morning say, you know what, I'm just going to say no to lunch. Or dinner, or I'm going to commit myself to a, a one-day fast or a three-day fast. I mean, if you've never fasted before, unless God leads you in that direction, just make it easy. Just take a one-day fast or a three-day fast at the most. And if he moves you to go further than that, that'd be great. Don't be legalistic about it. Don't put yourself up under the law. Well, I've committed to a 300-day fast. You know, don't do that. And see what God does. See if he doesn't just, within literally hours, hours, just... Open up yourself spiritually that when you pray, I mean, you're going you're gonna to connect with God. I mean, if some of you are struggling with things here, you know, I've got job problems, I've got home problems, I've got problems with my kids, I've got problems with my future, I've got health problems, I don't know what's going to happen, my future seems kind of, kind of muddy. Man, what better time than commit a season of your life to just prayer and fasting? It's not fasting for the sake of fasting. If you just decide to quit eating and not praying, you're going on a diet. It's not, that's not dieting. It's praying and fasting. It's, it's, it's fasting with praying. The whole purpose of fasting is to increase the time in your prayer life and the intensity in your prayer life. If you make it about dieting, you'll find that it doesn't do anything for you spiritually. It's not what it's about. But why don't you ask the Lord to enable and inspire you with fasting and pray this is what I'm praying for, and I'm asking you to join me in this. To pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal himself to our lives. Don't you want that? And if he reveals himself to us as individuals in ways we, we can't even comprehend, by definition, he's revealed himself to our church. And then we'll go out into the workplace, into our families, into the lost community out there, inspired by him with a peace that only he gives. I believe in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, not only in prayer, but they fasted. Fasted for 10 days. Would have fasted longer. But the Lord decided to come on Pentecost. And it's a prophetic holiday. And he answered that prayer by revealing to him, them, what happened in Acts chapter 2. And I don't know about you, but I'm asking for that myself. Amen? 
Let me pray.